If it weren't for God's goodness, knowing who I have been and knowing the mark, how I've missed the mark, how could I stand? If it weren't for the gracious words, the nonviolent words that come to me through scripture that say you are my beloved. And that when it comes to your sins, God says is that, you know, I have amnesia. Cough it up, confess it, and let's move on. This is the word of God to us. This is Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. Welcome to Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. I'm Melissa Rao, and Bishop Wright and I are having a conversation based on Four Faith, a weekly devotion sent out every Friday. You can find a link to this week's Four Faith and a link to subscribe in the episode's description. Hey, hey, Bishop. Hey, everybody. Hi, Melissa. Hey. Well, this week's devotion is an excerpt from a sermon you gave to Lutherans at their southeastern uh, at a southeastern synod gathering. You called it unmute and opened this devotion up with the truth about God must be spoken, which got me to wondering, how is the truth about God not being spoken? <laughs> well, that's it. First of all, let me just say that uh, I was honored to be invited to uh, the Southeastern Synod of the Lutheran Church. And we met in Chattanooga just a couple of days ago. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, on the way to answering that question, they, they did a marvelous thing. Of course, the, it was the day before Pentecost and Pentecost in, in the church is where we celebrate the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit breaking in to a very average, very traditional sort of gathering 2000 years ago and, and changing everything and allowing people to communicate across ethnicity and cultural, uh, differences, et cetera. And so, so it was sort of it was uh, it was revival and uh, and what I loved about being with them was it, you know when you think about Uvalde you think about Buffalo you think about all the woes of the world uh, in addition to thoughts and prayers and in addition to some courage from Congress and local politicians revival is the best response uh, to the woes of the world that the people of God. Uh, be refreshed by the activity of God, uh, to speak it, to talk about how it's happening in their own lives, at their own addresses, and to sort of, uh, and sort of bathe in it so that we steal ourselves to then have something to say to the world. So how it's not being said, I mean, you know, how God is, and their, their theme was uh, unmute, right? So I always, whenever I'm a guest speaker, I always try to work with people's themes, and so it was really their theme. Uh, and so as far as I could tell, what they were really saying is, is that we've got to do what they did at Pentecost. We've got to unchain our tongues, take some risks, and talk about uh, how God is alive in our own lives. And they had a, a really uh, wonderful worship service. Bishop Kevin Strickland uh, is the bishop there, had this wonderful worship service where people were invited to come to the microphone and talk about how God was active in their lives. And of course, uh, Lutherans like Episcopalians, you know, when they first uh, gave the invitation, nobody moved, right? <laughs> no, nothing happened. And then uh, after some singing and some gentle encouragement, uh, people came up remarkably and began to talk about the truth of God in their own lives. Mm. All right. So this is kind of a complicated one. I was a, As I was listening to you, I even thought back to a, a most recent 
sermon that I heard uh, at Pentecost. Uh, so you mentioned two choices. You said we can basically stay on mute on matters of God yeah. or join God in proclaiming Easter with our full throat. Yeah. And I can't help but notice at least one other choice <laughs> that I okay. think a number of people have made. Um, yeah. And that's to talk at full vo volume, ensuring that the loudest ones in the room talking about right. God are twisting God. And and so right. I'm wondering, like Pentecost, if you read the story, is like the gift of tongues. Yeah. And it was also, I think, based upon the sermon I heard, the gift of listening. Yes. Right? So how how might we discern those full-volumed characters from those who are using their voice for spreading the love of God without right. them being dubbed false prophet? Right. Well, I mean, you know, a full volume uh, with words of grace, full volume with words of love, full volume with words of kindness, full volume with not being full of contempt, full volume with being helpful and useful – Full, full volume in terms of living out loving neighbor and loving God. Yeah, all of that and twice on Sunday, right? But not full volume where I have to put my foot, my metaphorical foot on your neck. Not full volume where I have to win at any cost. Not full volume where I have to sort of give you words of contempt. I just sort of have contempt for your right to exist or your right to have a different opinion. We don't need more of that. As I say in the sermon, you know, we got plenty of religion all around the world. I mean, you know, good Lord, we don't need more religion. What we need is people with a relationship with God, right? And here's what we find out. When people have a relationship with God, they get quieter and gentler. They get quieter and gentler. They get quiet. I mean, without fail, without fail. They get quieter, gentler, and they laugh a lot. Uh, because they know that human beings are silly things. And we're just so full of arrogance and uh and it's a silly thing uh, that we sort of uh, puff ourselves up so much. Uh, what's not funny is the, tra the, the tragic things we do to one another, you know, sort of puffed up on arrogance. But when you think about the Dalai Lama and the Desmond Tutu and so many other people, you know, who have lived lives of amazing faith, you know, they're just like sort of children, you know, in, in one regard. In one regard, they're these sort of men and women of incredible intellect. I, I think of... Uh, uh, Sister Helen Prejean, who we had on the who we've had on the uh, on the podcast. I mean, they're just they're just fun people to be around. They're just so silly, and you just love them. You want to hug them, and at the same time, they say things which destabilize the status quo. They call all of the BS into question, and so so the people that I know who I would say sort of spend time with God uh, are are people who who have you know, sort of kindness on their tongue. Uh, they have a little bit of mischievousness, a little silliness, uh, but at the same time, they're salt and light, as Jesus said. You know what they say is impactful and effective, uh, and it doesn't cost anybody sort of any dignity when they talk. Um, and and I think that's a crucial distinction. You know, I'm listening to you, and I'm like, dang, I'm nothing like that. <laughs> sure, you are. Sure. Well, we're all we're all aspiring, and I think I think if. Ambassador Young or C.T. Vivian or Sister Helen Prejean or any number of people were sitting right here, they would say, damn, uh, Bishop, I'm nothing like that either. You know, I mean, you know, it, it's always this notion of self-effacing. We're all, when, you know, when you spend time with God, you're, you're so aware of the goodness of God, the magnanimity of God, that, you know, when you begin to think about yourself, you say, oh, who am I? And, and that's where the next piece of God comes through, which is that you're my beloved. 
And so we're in this constant dialogue of sort of not being quite there and yet still striving. And that's what gives us the ability to be with other people, you know, sort of with respect and with love. Right. It's because I am so abundantly aware of how much I missed the mark. Yeah. Right. And so how, abundantly aware. Exactly. And how maybe that there is good God's goodness in all somewhere deep down, maybe. And, in and if it weren't for God's goodness, you know, how knowing who I have been and knowing the mark, how I've missed the mark, uh, you know, how could I stand if it weren't for the gracious words, the nonviolent words that come to me through scripture that say, you are my beloved, you're made in my image, right? And that when it comes to your sins, God says, is that, you know, I have amnesia, right? Cough it up, confess it, and let's move on. This is the word of God to us. And that no matter what you do, what you say, how you do it, your worst day, your worst deed, you're still God's beloved. Now, if we can get down to speaking words like that, then there's hope, right? There's hope in the world. And so I thank God for those men and women that I've encountered over the years who have spent enough time with God to be able to be really good neighbors. And I mean, you know, we just don't see this enough. I mean, you know, I mean, think about it. 80% of Americans right now realize that we've got a problem in America when it comes to gun violence. 80%. That's really overwhelming. Amazing, right? But for some reason, our elected officials, the people that we sort of voted in to do our work for us and representative work for us, you know, are are stymied, you know, they're, they're sort of, uh, they're, they're giving us all of these sort of platitudes, et cetera. They're not doing the work, right? What would it be like if we started off with, well, let's just sort of work on this thing. Let's figure out a way to talk about holding our rights in tension with our responsibilities to, you know, generations now and generations yet unborn. And let's try to do that without contempt. Let's try to do that affirming that people come at this a lot of different kinds of ways, but we've got to do what's good for the country right now. And so, you know, what's hopeful about Pentecost and what's hopeful about you and I getting the invitation to unmute ourselves is, is that the truth of God is that we're siblings. I've said it a thousand times. We're siblings and God has given us one another to try to make this, this earth look less like hell and more like heaven. And, uh, and that is the encouragement for all of us. Now, let me just say also, one of the things that people immediately default to when we say we, we can unmute ourselves and be uh, uh, gracious and you know respectful and all this sort of thing, they think that automatically then hard conversations go out the window. No, I think hard conversations get better and the quality of them get better when we start off by saying, Melissa, you and I are related. You and I worship the same God. We are siblings made in, in God's image, you and I both. And so that sort of says what things are out of bounds in terms of, you know, personal attacks, et cetera, but everything else is in bounds. And so the responsibility, really the privilege of the conversation is how do I affirm your dignity and at the same time really work on a hard issue? Now, I, that's harder. And I think it's better because, you know, you just in football, you've got out of bounds and basketball, you've got out of bounds and tennis, you've got out of bounds. When we fuss in marriage, we should have out of bounds, right? And so we should have out of bounds in the way that we speak to one another. I love that idea. Friends, we'll be right back after a short break. 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. 
Beloved is a new series from the Office of Communications here in the Diocese of Atlanta. It's a story-sharing series of God's Beloved. They're stories of love, belonging, and seeing God in the world. Sharitha's story is available now. You can read more and watch at episcopalatlanta.org forward slash beloved. You can keep up with four people on IG and Facebook at Bishop Rob Wright. And now back to four people. Welcome back to four people. So Bishop, speaking of revival. Yeah. I'm wondering what you, um, like, do you think there are groups of people who need to find their voice more so than others? Like, in, in other words, are there groups of people who have been silenced or need to be raised up in the spirit of revival? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. If we're all made in God's image, um, you know, and all, all have equal worth, value, and dignity in God's eyes, then we have to look back with a, a um, constructive critique of who has been given the microphone over and over again in our culture, in our society, et cetera. I mean, look at it. Uh, Congress doesn't equally represent America um, in terms of race and, uh, and gender and orientation and those sorts of things. And the House of Bishops uh, that I'm a part of uh, does not represent the church. 98 million Anglicans globally. The average Anglican around the world is brown, a brown woman. The House of Bishops doesn't look like that. I'm about to go to Lambeth, which is a gathering of the global bishops. The majority of them will be male, and even though they'll be brown or of color, uh, still they will be overwhelmingly male. Uh, and uh, precious few uh, will uh, be gay and lesbian. And, uh, and even of all the spouses invited, uh, the gay and lesbian spouses have been disinvited. So, so there's no doubt about it that we continue uh, to allow some to the microphone, allow some to prominence, and, uh, and we restrict other voices. And when we do so, we're poorer. If it's true that the Holy Spirit speaks through all, then we need all so that the Holy Spirit can speak more forcefully and fully, right? And so I think what we've got to do really is to, is to think critically here and, and, and ask ourselves, those of us like me who are given to speaking, you know, what opportunities do I have and that I need to take to shut up so that other voices can come through, right? And, uh, and maybe some of us who are overrepresented in places need to stop talking a little while so that other voices uh, can start talking about it. Uh, so, I, I mean, I realize, you know, I have two daughters and uh, I realize that somehow they're socialized and a wife who has an earned PhD, smartest person in my house. And I, and I realize that they have been socialized to apologize when they offer an opinion. Right. Or when they offer a, a, a thought that's counter to the prevailing thought and say, oh, I'm sorry. You know, and I, I noticed that in so many women, they, they've been taught to apologize for being smart or well-read, or forthright, et cetera. And so I wonder about that. I wonder if we as a society, a culture, family, et cetera, uh, have, been, uh, have been diminished because we have not encouraged uh, you know, these folks, these parts of our community uh, to bring their full throat. Um, I was talking to a minister the other day in another diocese, and he was telling me about their commitment to diversity. But when you go to the website, it doesn't look like that. Um, and so the optics are damning for us a lot of times. I mean, even if we have good intentions, 
Uh, and the church is 150 some odd years old, and, and they just uh, have invited their very first somebody to come who's brown and who'll be on staff. But, you know, representation is so important, not only, you know, some people think I'm talking about political correctness, but I'm not. I'm talking about the full family of God being represented. That's what I'm really talking about. We're talking about diversity in worship, lots of different kinds of ways in which God speaks, different kinds of music uh, that God uses. Uh, that God is still animating people to write and to perform so that, you know, more people can hear their way in, think their way in, feel their way in uh, to the family of God and to know God for themselves. And so these things are important, not because of, you know, this sort of notion of political correctness. I'm not exactly sure what the hell that is anyway. But what I'm concerned about is is the whole family of God represented. Are the elderly voices still represented? Uh, are the youngest voices still represented? Are the vo- the voices who are who are not sure represented? Are the voices who bring a contrary note are they represented, et cetera? I mean, I think the best sort of snapshot of community, especially church community, I would say, is is that when we have the capacity as a community to listen to everybody and to figure out how to build, you know, worship expressions, liturgies, et cetera. So we can hear everybody. I think when we do that, then we can account for the broadest swath of who we are. And then we can move forward with a bit more confidence. All right. Well, I'm wondering if you've seen or heard a powerful movement of prophetic voices being lifted up who who we might celebrate today. Like, who are they? And how can people learn more? Yeah, well... You know, I, I want to go back to this revival uh, the other day. You know, what was so amazing to me and what really animated me. Now, I was the preacher, and I, and I must confess, you know, I drove up from Atlanta to, to Chattanooga, and I had my little sermon, you know, in the back pocket, and, uh, you know, was ready for, you know, a very decent and orderly sort of worship service. I had never, you know, uh, worshiped with the Lutherans, and there I was going to be with a couple of bishops and, you know, you know, everything nice and tidy and decent and in order and all that sort of stuff. But when I got there, what really broke it open was the music, right? So, so music has a role in reviving our spirits, right? We know this. We know this, that music is like praying twice, right? Uh, it, there, there's something about music. So that sort of unlocked, uh, you know, and, and, and not some obscure sort of 15th, 16th, 17th century settings of anything, with all due respect to those expressions, but but something that people could really lean into and give themselves to. And the music was wonderful. So God bless these musicians who are committed to excellence, because what they really do is they create a space for us to sort of stop being so self-conscious, right, and to be more worship conscious. So God bless them. But then what really sort of, I think, uh, unleashed spirit in the place was that, as I said to you, people were invited to the microphone. And one woman got up, and she was really reluctant. It was an older African-American woman. She got up, and she said that she had had a stroke just before Easter, right? And, and, and everybody sort of gasped because she was one of the praise dancers at this event. So here we are some 50 days from Easter, and I mean, now, now she wasn't, you know, a, a Russian ballerina or anything like that, but she was up and she was moving and it was beautiful. And, you know, the fact that she said that, you know, she just refused that uh, 
in her life to believe that the stroke was going to impose these limitations on her and that she would not be able to worship in the way that she wanted to worship, which is liturgical dance, which is giving her full body. And so, you know, she gave her a little expression of the testimony, really. Right. And then and then people sort of it was amazing to watch three, four hundred people in a room. And then another woman got up and, and her granddaughter, uh, grandchild had been in a car accident, a little baby. Uh, and uh, tragically, uh, you know, they had to cut him out of the wreckage. And uh, the baby was uh, paralyzed from the chin down. So from the neck down. Right. Terrible. And the doctor said that uh, that this child uh, would not have any motion in their limbs and their body below their neck uh, for the rest of their life. Right. Uh, and uh, and the, and the grandmother who stood up to talk about it, she said, you know, we believe the God. We believe God, uh, but we believe science, but we also believe in God. And they prayed for two years. Two years two years. Uh, can you imagine uh, uh, holding on to something in faith for two years when the doctors tell you, no way, no how? But this grandmother held on to it for two years. Well, uh, the story goes that uh, there was a video video monitor in the child's room and a video monitor in the living room. And uh, and the grandma looked into the video monitor and said to the baby, uh, see ya, honey, I'm, I'm leaving. I'll see you soon. And the baby waved back and said, see you soon. And, and, uh, and after two years now, there's, there's life in the limbs of this child. And this child is moving. And so uh, uh, some will write these kinds of uh, expressions off. And there were seven or eight more uh, of opportunities where people got up to talk about things large and small, you know, things huge uh, and, and things seemingly more mundane. But what was amazing was is that people talked about God. They didn't refuse to speak about God. They got over their coyness or shyness and began to talk about how God was alive and well in their life. And I think that is our response to the woes of the world, is to begin to, you know, to be the community that we actually are, which is to we worship a living God in spirit and in truth. And we refuse to be bought off by all the narratives that say that we sort of moving forward in a, in a hopeless, despair-written reality and future. We are not. Uh, it is hard. Life is hard. Evil has always been our companion, and there's still God. And God finds a way to break in and make a difference. And that is, that is the best thing we have to offer the world. That, and that happened dramatically in the person of Jesus Christ, who broke into an empire that was abusing and oppressing people and destabilize the whole joint with words of, of love and grace. Thank God for that. Amen. Thank God for that. And that, friend, is revival. Amen. Bishop, thank you as always. And listeners, we thank you for listening and sharing for people with others. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Bishop Rob Wright. Please subscribe, leave a review, and we'll be back with you next week. 